Welcome everyone to Rocket Nation Podcast. This is Sam Snelling. I am your host for Dive Cuts. I think we're on uh, Season 4, Episode 13, Lucky 13, with me as always. A uh, good friend, across the distances, uh, all the way in Indiana, Indianapolis, calling it home, Matthew J. Harris. Matt, how are you? I am well, sir. Um, it is a, a quiet Sunday evening in the Harris household, uh, piddling away on a post, and now uh, going to talk about uh, some hoops with you. Hey, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. It is our first uh, pod uh, since we are ringing in uh, to 2021, kicking 2020 to the curb. I think a lot of people were ready to get rid of that. It doesn't mean the pandemic is over, people. Um, we are uh, still in the midst of a horrific <laughs> uptick in cases and deaths and everything is bad. Stay at home. Stay masked up if you have to leave your house. Uh, we have some ways to go. People are getting vaccinated, so things are looking, uh, I guess, positive from that standpoint. And so, Matt, I'm celebrating a little bit. Um, I'm having a uh, a bottle of Four Roses Barrel Strength as we have the pod tonight. Very nice. I'm I'm just sipping on some Lakota House Blend coffee here. Nope. Oh, you're all about the uh, the nighttime coffee. I'm not a nighttime coffee drinker. Uh, it's, it's my dessert. That's, uh, that sounds terrible, but aside from like the last week when I've like indulged in holiday treats, um, I usually try and avoid, uh, sweets. So, uh, a nighttime coffee is kind of my guilty pleasure after dinner. Yeah. Um, I like, I like a good, just glass of whiskey. <laughs> so your Missouri Tigers, Matthew. Our Missouri Tigers, everyone's Missouri Tigers. Uh, they are the collective's Missouri Tigers. They are uh, pretty likely to uh, hang in to the top 25 after a dismal performance um, against Tennessee. I think a lot of people were kind of looking forward to that game, and I think it's fair to say that Missouri laid an egg. Um, but sometimes it's not uh, that you get knocked down, it's how you get back up. And Missouri got back up, went to Fayetteville, and smacked around the Arkansas Razorbacks, who to that point were undefeated, a top 30 Ken Palm team, uh, looking like a uh, potential contender. Um, I think there were several analysts who sort of marked them as a, a sleeper in the SEC, and I, I, I don't know that I would disagree even after they <laughs> stunk yeah, it up against I would, Missouri. Uh, I don't think I downgrade them. But I think it, it was nice for us to sort of see two different uh, performances mainly just after everything was so sort of dire on Wednesday night um, for Missouri to kind of come out and go on the road. And uh, and granted, Bud Walton without 20,000 people in the stands, uh, maybe not as intimidating, but that's still a place where Arkansas has played really well. They've run teams out of the gym there. Um, and Missouri got out of there with a 13-point win. That was a, that was a big win. Yeah, I, I think it was a study in contrast all week. I think with Tennessee, you have a team that, um, while it's imported some top-end talent in the last recruiting cycles, is still defined, like we've talked about before, kind of in its persona and in its locker room culture by guys like Eve Pons, John Fulkerson. Um, some vets who kind of understand what Rick Barnes demands and sort of what tone they want to set there and 
I think you saw kind of the inverse on Saturday where um, Arkansas, plenty of talent, but still a, a group that has a lot more youth in the mix. Um, Desi Sills is really their only returner. Um, and I thought it was interesting. I went back and watched uh, Eric Musselman's um, press conference. That was something, wasn't conference. it? It was, but, uh, <laughs> the, but aside from like the pseudo meltdown for parts of it, I think he really said something silly, and he said, we've looked like a young team this week. And if you watch them for stretches against Auburn and for stretches on Saturday, they really did look like a, a, a young team. And young can mean many different things. Yes, they have youth in the lineup. Moses Moody's a freshman. Devontae Davis is a freshman. Um, Jalen Williams is a freshman. Um, I'm, I'm thrilled that you know Muss has kind of gone against type <clears throat> and played his freshman. I was worried they were going to just sort of outside of Moody be stuck on the bench and it was going to be an army of transfers, mm-hmm. but he's, he's let his young guys kind of run there. But to my point is they had transfers and youth on that floor on the floor and they look like it for, for long stretches in terms of how they operated when they had to get into a half court set against Missouri. So I just thought it was a, a week where you saw a veteran team like Tennessee who knows who it is, has a sense of identity and has supplemented it with talent come in and, I know it was probably shocking for some Missouri fans to see. I, I in the back of my mind, thought what happened was a distinct possibility. But then to see Missouri sort of answer the bell and take its own sort of experience group on the road and do to Arkansas what Tennessee did to them. So I just thought it was a, a week in, uh, where we saw like just how much value continuity and stability still has right now at this point in the season. Yeah, so I thought it was like interesting the the Tennessee game. I sort of marked it in study hall as um, as not surprising but disappointing. Uh, I think what you do is you kind of look for Missouri to kind of come out with the same level of fight uh, that they showed when um, you know when when Illinois came in, and I I was kind of ex- like that was kind of my expectation. I actually did not expect Missouri to win the game. But that was my expectation for the level of intensity that they brought to the game. And I actually thought that the main problem that they faced against Tennessee is they didn't look like they came out with the same level of effort and intensity that they did against Illinois. And maybe that's like uh, a little bit of, you know, obviously there are guys with more incentive to beat Illinois and all that kind of stuff. But I really think it comes down to the fact that their familiarity with beating Illinois and how to beat Illinois uh, and and how to play against Illinois. And, you know, and Tennessee is still a team that Missouri doesn't see very often. Um, and even though they, they, they play them annually, it's, 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 it doesn't quite have the same buildup that Bragginrights does. So I feel like all the entire Missouri roster was, was like just champing at the bit to get into that Illinois game and sort of prove their mettle. And I almost kind of wonder how much like the metal had been proved at that point. And they were expecting to be able to just kind of go into that game and play with Tennessee. And Tennessee kind of came in and they looked like, to me, the more aggressive team very, very much early on. Uh, you know, and obviously Missouri missing shots and, and, and having some turnover problems sort of exasperated it. But at the same time, Tennessee was playing the aggressor. And that's something that we really haven't seen uh, from Missouri much this year. And so it was nice to see them kind of recover and, and sort of play that role again against Arkansas. 
But I think if you look at that sort of early, you know, 10-minute run or whatever it was where, where Tennessee went from, uh, you know, making like 9 of 11, their first 11 shots, and uh, and just absolutely got on Mizzou. I think it was 23 to 4 or something like that at one point. Um, I think if you look at that, like, segment of the game, like, Tennessee looked intensity-wise the same way that Missouri looked against uh, against Illinois and against Oregon uh, and, and against Arkansas. If you look at the go-back-and-review lineup data, what stuck out to me was the worst performing lineup of the night was Missouri's starting five. They were minus 15 in scoring margin and nine minutes on the floor. And a lot of that was against Tennessee starting five. So I think you go back and you look at that, especially in those runs at the beginning of the first and the second half. What stuck out to me was it was very much Tennessee starting five, to your point, came out and asserted themselves. Like this wasn't Tennessee, you know, it wasn't like the starting five hang it, kept Missouri in there a bit, and then when Missouri subbed, Tennessee exploited the bench. Tennessee took a hammer to Missouri starting five, and they did it quickly. And Missouri got into its, even into its better bench rotations. Tennessee was still cracking them. And I, and I think what stood out to me in that, in those early moments was Tennessee this year has, has been a little bit more aggressive with its on ball defense and been a little bit more willing to press. But even in the games I saw, they weren't like ratcheting it up. It was more like a token one, two, two. They were trying to keep teams from getting into their offense pretty quick. And they were, you know, being a little bit more aggressive in on-ball defense. But against Missouri, they were in shirts. It was, I think there was a very clear ultimatum from from Barnes and his staff. Like, we are going to get into these guys. We're going to be physical. We're going to make them not have space. We're not going to give them room. We're not going to give them time. And you could see with Missouri's shot selection, they were all over Drew. They were all over Mark. Xavier Pinson found a way to get some room, but it was still... You know, just watch Eve Pons recover. Watch Josiah Jordan-James recover. Once those guys got in the lane, it was just a tangle of arms. Mm-hmm. And what Barnes and his team did was, even if they didn't force a turnover, even if they didn't get in transition, they forced the ball to go to guys who we know are not you know, optimal guys to be knocking down jumpers. <laughs> Mitchell Smith, Kobe Brown. So even if Tennessee wasn't creating turnovers, even if they weren't like generating short possessions, they were forcing the ball to guys who, frankly, Missouri doesn't want to shoot it. And I think against Arkansas, that was sort of my concern going in was Arkansas is going to be a little bit more slap happy. They're going to reach. They're going to you know play on the line, up the line a bit more. They're going to want to try and create turnovers and get in transition. And early on, Missouri struggled with that. I mean, Missouri had 21 turnovers in that game. But I think Missouri did a much better job adjusting itself to the defensive pressure they faced. And especially in the second half, they wrestled the pace to where they wanted to be. So I think you saw Missouri take some lessons and sort of refocus itself out of the Tennessee game and apply them a couple days later in Fayetteville. So that was heartening to see, was to see that didn't become a permanent fixture of the scouting report. It was heartening to see Missouri take the smack in the mouth and learn some lessons from it and apply them in short order. Yeah, and I think, like, the... I mean, watching the Tennessee game was obviously not a lot of fun um, for anybody. But I think one of the things that we need to sort of 
you know take out of um individual games is is there's like less of a focus point on one game and its results of one game and i think like i kind of feel like the over there was a little bit of an overreaction um, but there was an overreaction after the illinois win too yeah and so as we are collecting uh as we like to call them data points um you know, like, and I, so I'm. You are working on a, a piece on Mitchell Smith, and I'm working on a a, a piece for people to read on uh, efficiency margin and, and sort of how to define it and what it means and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but I think it's it's important to kind of know that, like, and this is I think my my main argument with uh, with Jesse Newell, uh, the you know Kansas beat writer for the Kansas City Star, was was essentially that. I feel like this year of all years it is going to be incredibly difficult to uh, manage expectations based upon analytics. Um, I think we're going to see a wider variety of swings in play. Um, and I think we're going to see an overall like baseline of, um, of games just have more i guess weird outcomes for for lack of a better term so it's just like i'm i'm looking at missouri and i'm looking at what they've been doing offensively and defensively and you look at the way that they played against tennessee and they they played really bad against tennessee but you know what tennessee also played really good and sometimes like that combination in a game where uh you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that Missouri is a bad team. It doesn't necessarily mean that that Tennessee is a great team. And I think both teams turned around on the following Saturday, and Tennessee lost at home to Alabama. I think you and I both understand Alabama's potential to beat you uh, is always going to be high, mainly because of how they play. Um, they are going to shoot a lot of three-pointers, and if those three-pointers go in... It is really hard to beat them. And they, they made 50% of their threes against Tennessee. So does that mean that Tennessee fans should panic that they just got beat at home by Alabama, who's not even projected to be in the field at this point? Um, no. Like, absolutely not. You should not panic. Alabama made half their threes. Like, that's not something a team will normally do. A good night shooting the three ball is usually like 40%. If you make 40%, that's good if you make 50 percent, holy hell the nets are on fire um i know it, this is a foreign concept for missouri fans as, as we're you know struggling to get to 30 percent. but but overall the the performance uh over the arc of the season like missouri has proven to be a good team and yeah like watching that tennessee game sucked but like turning around and going on the road um beating a and and Arkansas it's like and we can we can talk about sort of how we feel Arkansas can can play. I think Arkansas is a team that is going to be within the top 6 of the league at the end of the year. Uh and and so if you could win that game on the road against anybody that's going to finish in the top 6, you're like that's house money right there. With to your point about kind of variance here, like coming into the Bradley game, I think Missouri was 
peaking around 32nd in Kim Palm. When that game tipped, they were 34th. They skidded all the way into the low 40s after that one. They were around 41 when they tipped off against Tennessee. They bombed all the way to 50th. Then they beat Arkansas by 13 on the road, overperforming Ken Palm's expectation by, I think, 11 points. And now they've jumped all the way back to 41. Like, they've pinged around within a 20-spot range in the last two weeks. And there's still, like, preseason data kicking around in there, so it's like... Yeah, <laughs> so what what I would say to your point is, what you draw out of the Tennessee game is this. Uh, an elite team, a team that we think is a legit top 10 team in Tennessee, can absolutely hammer Missouri if it has the scouting report on the Tigers down pat, which we know. Play it, you know, really bog them down in ball screens, clog the middle of the floor, use your length, make them t- complete tough finishes at the rim, or force the ball out to jump shooters like Kobe Brown or Mitchell Smith or Pinson spotting. Like, that's that's the game plan. And you hope that by forcing those jumpers that Missouri is, that Missouri's overall weakness as a jump shooting team is going to hold up. Now, maybe Missouri has an outlier night where it's just banging in three balls left and right. Which I think you look at, like, Florida last year. Which Florida is a case in point there. But I think what Tennessee ex- showed was if... A team has the scouting report on Missouri down pat, and it has the elite personnel to enforce it, and Missouri's having a bad shooting night, you wind up with a 20-point ass-kicking. Like, I don't want to take away anything that Tennessee didn't make it sound like Missouri was completely, you know, spitfiring. Tennessee put Missouri, you know, in a headlock for long stretches defensively, and Eve Pons is a freaking monster recovering and making, you know, plays around the rim. Did you watch any of the Alabama game? I did. That guy's just a... Epon should be banned from college basketball. Nobody with that size, speed, and lateral agility should be able to just roam around the court and do what he does. His, Nobody should be allowed to do that. He had like four blocks in like a six-minute span against Alabama, and and Al, like Alabama was playing well. I didn't think he'd get to. I didn't think he'd get to three of them. Yeah, I was like, just <laughs> it's it, like it's three absurd. of them are plays that you just no average college stretch four should be getting to the those shots and much less altering them or affecting them so what i would say is i thought tennessee could happen because missouri shoots the ball poorly enough to open itself up to these kinds of runs that tennessee went on and boy did that happen but i think you saw against arkansas which one how arkansas defends lends itself to missouri being a little bit better in ball screens and in pick and rolls and also, Arkansas's personnel was in a bind because they didn't have Justin Smith, who's out with an ankle injury, and he's probably, like at least in the games I've seen, the best pick-and-roll defender. Like, big enough and agile enough to kind of play and drop coverage, also able to show. But instead of that athletic guy, you got Connor Van over. Like, and given how Arkansas played in ball screens... um which was to have Vanover almost showing, which is perfect because then you can just have Xavier Pinson split. Or if you have poor coverage, Vanover would rotate over and Arkansas would just take leave of its faculties and not rotate down or send anybody to rotate down to Jeremiah Tillman. Like, Missouri did things great and they put Arkansas in those positions with its offense. But Arkansas's personnel, and like Eric Musselman said, that youth and that sort of inexperience 
was something Missouri could exploit, and Missouri's best tendencies came out. They were able to put pressure on the rim. They got the foul count up. They got to the line, and they made enough threes in the second half to to keep things loose. So we saw again what happens when Missouri's best version shows up and they're able to play well. The real question here is how well can each other's ten- team's tendencies play out? And that sounds boring, but in conference play, that's that's the crux of it. Tennessee knows how Arkansas Tennessee knows how Missouri wants to play. Arkansas Missouri knows how Arkansas wants to play. They know personnel, they know coaching tendencies. It's just who can do a better job executing the scouting report. Missouri saw this week what happens when it does a good job and when ten- and when it doesn't do a good job. Mm-hmm. So we'll we'll see kind of how many times Missouri can wind up on the right side of that moving forward. So moving forward, um, I don't know if there's any other points that you and I need to make on Tennessee or Arkansas. Tennessee, boo, Arkansas, yay, good. Uh, Arkansas, I was just, I was happy to see. Um, but I think, I think you come out of the, you know, basically two games against the, um, you know, the top, you got the again, the top either. six of the league, you know, projected, but, and you went one and one. I think, I think you'd take that. I, I really like Arkansas. Um, I think defensively they're going to have issues throughout the year, but when they're at full strength, they can score the ball. They are fantastic. Um, yeah, Missouri was able to make uh, life really difficult around the rim specifically for a lot of, you know, Arkansas's guards. But specifically Desi Sills. J.D. Note, they were really able to... And, man, like, and there was a couple times, like, Connor, Connor Vanover was, like, doing stuff. And you're like, what are you even... Th-? Like, why why is Conover, or Connor Vanover even thinking about driving the basketball? Don't understand it. Don't understand. Like you are seven foot three and slow. Do not put the ball on the deck. (laughs) Like I kind of get the trail three play there where they run drag action with it. Yeah, see, Shoney can hit that shot. That's that's not bad. Like a little flip action back. That's not bad. And plus, usually it's in cross match and you can get on the glass. I don't mind those because Shoney can hit them. But yeah, the weird one where he gets it like in the channel up near the free throw line extended and puts it on the deck. I just covered my eyes it was it was ugly but it went about as as well as you would expect <laughs> yeah um other thing is i i say this from having like watched him you know come through with brad b elite and like knowing people who like still cover arkansas prep basketball man i love moses moody everything about that kid's game is just so pure he can do like one of the favorite things I've had in the last couple of years is like going to watch him play with BBE, especially when he was with EJ Liddell, and he was like the second or third scorer on that team. Just so smooth, can finish with either hand, just an array of mid-range finishes. You know, looks really lean, but tough enough going to the glass. But to watch him like catch and release, like from 15 feet away, to watch him go through a jump shooting motion, it's just beautiful to watch. And if Arkansas is not careful, he's going to be a one and done guy. He's just He's got everything that I think pro teams want. He can knock down shots. He's competent off the dribble. He's a he's a really good off ball defender, and you can see him like yeah, he's a really underrated defender. Like you could see him like literally coordinating the defense for Arkansas on some possessions. He's just fantastic. Um, my my one I, I guess gripe with him, and as far as like how he projects, is he's not he's not very explosive. Like his his initial. 
his initial first step, first uh, first drive, uh, you know, attacking closeouts is is pretty average to below average, it's and average, he doesn't get a lot of separation. By, um, but he's compensated by being able to have enough ball skill to create room in the mid range to hit pull ups. Yeah, like so I, he's, I, he's, I think I think his ability to to shoot from deep is probably enough to, to you know make sure that he has a nice um, nice NBA career. I just like I I think that his inability to kind of you know create that space off the bounce is probably what's going to hold him back at the next level uh, as far as just being like an elite player i mean he, he could have a nice i mean really you could have a really really great you know 10-year career just being a guy who can defend and spot up he, he's got a lot of joe johnson to him which shouldn't surprise arkansas fans but that was my one thing like i always love to you know we talk a lot about missouri but i always like to give credit to to guys on the other side man Moses Moody's fun Arkansas fans you should love having him he's an in-state guy he picked you one up recruiting battle kept a top 50 kid home and he's he's fantastic so happy for Arkansas fans they get to watch him for at least one season because he, he's a joy um and I think if he's if they can find a way the other point is I think I mentioned this to you I feel like JD Note too often is the guy who's kind of emblematic of that offense they need to get it to where it's Moses Moody who's kind of emblematic of what they're trying to do offensively. If that happens, uh, it's a team that I think is really going to you know, contend and push Tennessee a bit. They, they've got the pieces. I think they've just got to get a little bit more sound defensively and just, I think, get a little bit headier on the offensive end. But they, they've got all the pieces to be a factor. Yeah, so interestingly enough, the Hogs and the Vols are going to play each other. Um, so we're going to learn real quick sort of what each team is made of um, as uh, Arkansas is headed to Tennessee on Wednesday. Um, and that, that is going to be a, a really pretty tough game for them because uh, I think Missouri did a lot of things defensively to Arkansas that they probably weren't used to seeing. Um, anybody who's not really familiar with, with Arkansas' season to date, uh, they really didn't challenge themselves in the non-con. I mean, you always want to put a caveat on that, like because I do think that I think Conzo Martin did a good job of challenging his team uh, as as much as you could in the non-conference season. Um, I don't know what limitations uh, Arkansas and, and Musselman had, but their toughest non-conference opponent um, was what North Texas. Yeah, and they were going to play Tulsa, but that. Got nixed uh, due to COVID uh, within the uh, Hurricanes program. So, yeah. So, I mean, you always kind of want to cut people a little bit of a break um, this year when it comes to like who they played. Uh, but who you played is who you played. And Arkansas didn't really have a, a, a tough schedule. Uh, they did beat Auburn at Auburn uh, in a nice sort of 12 point win. Auburn doesn't really like to defend very much. Um, so, it is interesting that, that Arkansas struggled. A lot against a a good defensive team in Missouri. I don't think Missouri is an elite defensive team, um, but we are going to see them uh, face an elite defensive team against Tennessee uh, here in a few days. Yeah, and it, Arkansas's schedule, like Missouri, they had a, a brutal first two or three games in non-con. They had to go to Auburn, and Tennessee, with a Missouri visit wedged in there. Uh, they get Georgia uh, that'll come in. But then after that, it's LSU, Alabama, and then Auburn again. I mean, I I think when we were doing the preseason pod um, with Blake Lovell, I said, you know, Auburn's one of those teams I wouldn't be shocked to see it two and four 
through the not through the early part of the SEC slate and still have them sort of rebound. The middle part of their their schedule is a little bit better for them, um, but it, it's going to be tough sledding, especially coming out of the non-con that they had. Um, I wasn't shocked that they went a little bit conservative in uh, scheduling, just given how much turnover they had and you know Musselman trying to figure out how to put all these different pieces together. It didn't surprise me to see them go that route in non-con scheduling, but the hope was that they would have a little bit more continuity or a little bit um, more momentum when they came into the early part of the slate. And we'll see how much that bears out. But yeah, Tennessee's going to be another stiff test for them in the middle of the week. Missouri, meanwhile, uh, travels to Starkville, where the Mississippi State Bulldogs um, are 1-1 one one after opening the season by uh, beating Georgia on the road by 10. They returned home uh, and promptly lost to Kentucky in double overtime thanks to the totally predictable hot shooting late from uh, Dante Allen, who uh, was is a redshirt freshman guy who is a borderline top 100 prospect from Kentucky, the kind of guy that typically doesn't get a lot of run at Kentucky, and I think a lot of Kentucky fans knew like his reputation. They've been um, clamoring for it, and now they've been, they've been yeah. So he's got a reputation as as being a, a guy who can shoot the ball well, um, and he ends up going seven of eleven. Uh, he had a couple threes that were totally ridiculous, sustainable. But <laughs> Cal should abandon <laughs> all of his senses and listen and just. You know, on his radio show, take scouting reports from the fans and deploy them because clearly Kentucky fans clearly know they, more than a Hall of Fame coach. I mean, one sample size is clearly representative enough to chuck out all of Cal's years of experience. Oh, well, and we don't we don't need to spend a whole lot of time on Kentucky, but I do think like one of the things I really kind of found interesting um was so Cal got booted from this game. I I, I think you could probably go back and uh, and and look, and there probably aren't a whole lot of Saturday SEC basketball games where two coaches got booted. Um, you know, Eric Musselman obviously got kicked out of the Missouri game, uh, and Cal uh, got run in Starkville, which is I I think it was just a couple years ago uh, when he got kicked out at Starkville. Um, I think he's gotten run in Columbia yeah, much, too. He's much, gotten run in, in uh, at South Carolina <clears throat> as well. Yeah, I, I want like I'm trying to remember, but you know, Mississippi State had a at a better team that year, and and it was a close game, and um, and I think Cal getting run kind of sparked his team to kind of get their stuff together. I don't really think that this ha- that happened this time. I think he's just sort of reached a frustration level with his team. But I did find it interesting that that so Bruiser Flint is sort of his top assistant, and 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 Flint stepped in. And going into like this first and second overtime, uh, Brandon Boston, BJ Boston, uh, a guy who is a projected lottery sitting pick, him. has he he sat. Terrence uh, Clark, Isaiah Jackson, a a top fifteen prospect, uh, sitting. So he had on the court. Uh, Devin Askew was the only five star prospect. He also had Davion Mintz, who is a transfer from Creighton. Uh, Olivier Saar, um, Lance, Lance Ware, and and Dante Allen. So, 
Uh, and those those sort of unheralded Kentucky players uh, brought home Kentucky's first win uh, since the season opener. So after losing six straight, something like that, six straight, yeah, uh, they're in the win column. They beat so the, Missouri's opponent is Mississippi State, who they're better than I thought they'd be, Matt. Yeah, yeah, but I think this is another testament to what we sort of say all the time, which is that Ben Hallen's a you know, I don't like Ben Hallen style play. It's still kind of murder ballish, but DJ Stewart's found a way to, to be pretty effective. Iverson Molinar, you know, was a guy who last year was kind of a, a reserve guy, but he's found a way to kind of impact things. I had no clue this was coming from Tolu Smith. You could not have told me that Tolu Smith was going to be an offensive threat for them uh, in the low block and was going to really take pressure off Abdul Ladu, who's all that guy needs to do is just rebound block shots and. The nice part about it is that Jalen Johnson's been – those guys have allowed Jalen Johnson, ULL transfer out of the Sun Belt, to be a, a low-usage, high-efficiency guy. They're, and the bigger deal is having those two guards in Stewart and Molinar step forward has really eased pressure on Davon Smith, who has struggled. I think his offensive rating is only like 80.9%. Um, he's got an in, he's like minus, he's got like a negative 10% gap in assist rate to turnover rate. So he's not doing a great job distributing, um, just a real struggle for him to make the transition. JV Davis Fleming, another Alabama transfer, uh, is not playing very well either, but he didn't play well at Alabama. Um, so yeah, can't, can't imagine that, you know, why I mean, that happened. couldn't get run for a better SEC program. Why can't you're just going to be able to do it somewhere else. But Point is, Stewart and Molinar have stepped up in a way that, that I didn't think was going to quite happen the way it has. Tolu Smith's emerged, and it's that kind of that kind of triumvirate allows Adu and Johnson to fit into their more natural roles. I don't know what they've really got in terms of depth-wise. I mean, Quentin Post is around as a third kind of big guy. Cam Matthews is a freshman who's getting some sporadic run, but he's not exactly an offensive threat. But they've got five guys who can be sturdy enough for them and compete and do a good job for for Ben. The question is, do, are they going to be able to find two or three other depth pieces behind them to to you know step forward and and ease some pressure that those guys are going to feel down you know in late February? But I've like you said, I, I'm surprised they've played as well as they have. Um, they were t- st- they were tough against Clemson. Um, they lost to Liberty, but you know that was a kind of a matchup that I thought was going to tip in Liberty's way. They took Dayton to two overtimes, um, and they were feisty against Kentucky. And they went on the road and beat Georgia. So I don't know if they're going to be a team that's going to you know vie for the NCAA tournament bubble. But I think what what did we have them 13th? You know I could see them getting if things break their way. You know avoiding a Wednesday game. Which, yeah, I think so. I think the thirteenth ranking was was me, and I, maybe I talked you into that. I think I had them twelve or um, something. Yeah, I think most people sort of had Georgia thirteenth, and I was like looking at Georgia bringing back you know a bunch of kind of young talent, thinking, hey, like you know maybe maybe Crean can kind of get this going a little more so than looking at what what Ben Helen had to work with, and I just don't think I like I just didn't see. And I, I think it's kind of hard per, to predict. You know, I liked uh, DJ Stewart's tools, and I liked Iverson Molinar's tools, but I just I don't think I expected them to 
step up and be, I mean, they, those guys have been awesome this year. Um, and really, like Mississippi State, in order for them to be decent, needed that to happen. Because <laughs> the rest of the roster is just like, I mean, you're not going to throw the ball. And we talked about this with like with Blake Lovell. Like, you're not going to throw the ball in, you know, to, to Abdul Adu and be like, go make us plays, big guy. Like, he's he's there for defense. He's there for rebounding. Uh, and and so for, for them to kind of come out of the gates and have uh, the play of the guards that they've had... Um, you know, I, I think like this is and, and like this is a sneaky tough game because Missouri under Conzo Martin have not played uh, well against Mississippi State. Now Mississippi State has had more guys in their roster uh, the last few years. You know, like they've had you know Weatherspoons and Woodard and, uh, and guys like and that. And, you know, it's just like yeah, they've... some some much tougher guys. But uh, Abdullah Du is a guy who has given Jeremiah Tillman fits. Yeah. Um, and he is a really, really good defender. And so I think this is a game where, you know, like, like just like Arkansas is a game where Jeremiah Tillman has a chance to kind of show out, you know, because Arkansas doesn't really have a great big. Um, he can exploit sort of like the slowness and, and the, you know, the reaction time of a guy like, like Connor uh, Vanover. I'm going to struggle to say his name for the rest of time. Um, I think it's the opposite against Mississippi State. I think for for Missouri to beat Mississippi State, they're really going to have to to have good games from uh, from their guards, and and I really think Mark Smith is going to have to emerge from his sort of uh, you know struggles offensively. I mean, he turned the ball over like crazy against Arkansas. He hasn't shot the ball well, although he did hit a big three down the stretch, and maybe that's all he needs to kind of get going again, but. Um, this is a really sneaky, tough game um, for Missouri. That one that I think that before the season we all sort of looked at and said they should go to Starkville and win, and I still think they should. Um, but this for me is a lot more like sixty forty versus you know the beginning of the season where I thought it was probably more like eighty five fifty. Yeah, the, Mississippi State's still kind of confounding me because they still plod up and down the floor. I think they're three hundred forty second in adjusted tempo. But they, and they still want to like pound the ball inside. They don't, they're like 309th in three point shooting, three point field goal attempts out of per out of their entire field goal per attempts. I'm mangling that, but they're 309th in th- shooting threes nationally. But they make 37.9% of them. Like they don't shoot many threes, but when they do, they knock them down. And that's usually, and that's where Smith and Molinar have been really good. But the one thing that stands out is they've got Smith and they've got, a do down in the block, but they're 204th in two point shooting. They don't draw a lot of fouls. Like to me, if this is a half court game and you can keep it that way and Missouri doesn't turn the ball over, I think Missouri can play at this pace. I don't think Conzo Martin's afraid to make it a grinded out game, which how much that should be the case. I don't know. Missouri is still better when they selectively push. But if Mississippi State gets into its half-court offense, I, I think Missouri can can grind them down a bit because, you know, even with their size, they've struggled to convert around the rim. They they aren't taking a lot of threes. If you're able to close down the paint like Missouri's shown it can do at times, is Mississippi State going to live and die by the three? Maybe they do, and maybe, you know, if that happens, so be it. That's just the way the, the cookie crumbles. But defensively, I think Missouri can can make some things happen. 
Um, the bigger deal to me is, are they going to be able to find ways to get into the paint and, you know, with a do around the rim, complete plays or get to the line? That That's that's really the key question there. You know, we, we saw it against Tennessee. If there is a lot of length around the rim, this team will struggle to convert at times. And, you know, I pointed this out in the preseason too. You know, Drew and Mark are kind of his average when they're attacking the rim against more traditional bigs. So, realistically, is Missouri going to be able to find ways to get efficient rim attacks and you know and get to the line? If they can do that, then I think they'll they'll be able to to get out of Starkville with a win. But it, it's an interesting matchup because I think you know what Mississippi State is good at is traditionally not how Ben Hound has wanted to play, and Missouri will have to fight the urge to grind out the game. And find ways to push against a team that doesn't really want to run. So it's it's a it's a unique matchup, and I, I think it, I think it's gonna, it's going to be a tough one. And, and Ben's a guy who's usually had the scout pegged against Missouri, so um, definitely not one you can automatically mark in the win column. Going to be interesting to watch how the style clash of styles kind of plays out. But um, you think if both teams play their their median game, Missouri should be able to get out with a win. So yeah, the good news is you get that out of the way on Tuesday, um, giving you like a another day to kind of uh, prepare and and recover, um, no matter what happens uh, for your return home against LSU. Um, that so that game against Mississippi State is uh, eight p.m. Central Time on the SEC Network. Uh, Missouri on Ken Palm is a two-point favorite. Um, 57% chance to run. Yeah, so I was pretty close there with a 60-40 versus 85-15. I'll, I'll take that. Um, so then they, they come back home uh, for LSU. And so I, I just want to get this off my chest. Uh, I think anyone who's read my, uh, my stuff on LSU and Will Wade know how I feel about Will Wade um, and his lion cheating ass. Um but more so than anything, like I really don't enjoy watching LSU play. I think you hate watching them play uh, defense more than anything else in the world, or the lack of defense. Yeah, so 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 my so here's so I love watching Skyler. Mace. God, we miss you, Skyler. Um, he like he he gambled a but lot. He was smart when he <laughs> but, gambled. Yeah, like but he's he's he was such a smart player and and such an intelligent guy on the court, uh, such a fun player to watch. Um, and like, so all the guys, like all of the guys that you enjoyed watching, uh, for LSU, even over the last few years, and there were, I mean, there was more than just Skyler. Like there were guys that, that Wade had the last few years that I, I enjoyed. Um, oh yeah. Tremont Waters was just awesome. Um, I hate watching this team. Oh my God. Like Trent and Watford is just one of those guys who's like so incredibly talented that he seems like he's annoyed to have to play and compete in a basketball game. It is so frustrating to watch a guy that has that much talent basically just sort of not care. <laughs> and and so LSU does not play good defense. 
They don't have a rim protector. Um, I think there was some hope, uh, and for you know, for me, like I was, I was hopeful that they. Uh, Brian Penn Johnson was going to come in and be their Cavell Bigby Williams. I was hopeful for that. I was hopeful that either him or Sharif O'Neal, um, who is Shaq's kid, uh, I, I was hopeful that one of those guys would be able to provide them some rim protection. But I don't, I don't know, and I haven't really seen that much of uh, LSU. I watched a little bit of the SLU game. Um, I watched them basically, you know, piss themselves against Nichols State. Um uh, and then I watched I watched most of the game against Florida. Yeah, and it's just like this is a team that if Missouri doesn't score eighty five points on, um, I like I I I don't know what they're doing. Like there is no reason to shoot threes uh, against LSU. Just just pass the ball, attack the rim, get to the line. Xavier Pinson should and, just be chomping at the bit for Saturday. Just thrilled at what at what he's going to see. Because this is the thing about... They play on a lineup line, I get it, because they want to create turnovers. But they're just disinterested in rotating or in helping. <laughs> it's, it's so... It's so frustrating to like, watch. And it, it's, and it's like, I, I, like I joked with you as the the game was happening you know it's just like will wade can obviously buy talent um you know but the 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 problem with with when you when you buy talent is a lot of times that talent isn't really interested in the things that that take effort they want to do the things that are going to make them look good so like Trenton Wofford is a great example of a guy who looks great on offense. Like you watch him, like he can attack the rim. He's he's skilled. He can shoot the ball the mid range. Uh, he can't extend out to three, but he's just so good at this sort of, you know, mid to high post attacking off the bounce. Um, and then you go to the other end, and he's just like, just barely paying attention. Um, and you know, obviously, I don't have hard evidence that Will Wade has paid money to Trenton Wofford, but we have evidence that Will Wade has paid uh, or offered to pay a lot of players. Um, so when you make this sort of correlation, uh, to me, it, it, it makes a lot of sense that he has a team that he can get to run really great stuff on offense. Uh, and and seem active and engaged on on that side of the floor, and then basically they're all going to gamble and go for steals uh, because those are the things that make them look good on defense. Yeah, I don't like watching, don't like watching LSU play basketball. No, um, the best part is like Trinity Watford. Like if you look at his synergy profile, it says he's a very good defender, but then you look at the shot attempts he's guarding in the half court. He's done a good job guarding jumpers. So like floating away from the rim, he's okay, but he's giving up one point five points per possession like around the basket like that it's just that floors me but the one thing i feel guilty about is i enjoy watching cam thomas get buckets he's fun to watch it's like if you saw him at oak hill and you saw like just watching him in high school you're like oh man he's got an entire scoring package that's going to translate immediately and yeah it has um he's 
he's an awesome player. I, I just I really wish like I really wish he was playing someplace else where they could get more more out of him. It what'll be interesting to see is just how much and Darius Days, you know, you know, I was a big Darius Days yeah, fan. Yeah, he's he's struggling defensively. He's he's having a rough go of it. Uh, I'm surprised, like Moani Wilkinson, um, was a really great defender in high school. He's struggling on the defensive end. Um, Charles Manning was supposed to be a guy who they thought was going to be a defensive stopper, and he's not playing very well. Um, so it, I, I'm just floored that they have the level of talent they have and they're just not consistent defensively i think when they when they have to and they lock in they're really they can be really good it's just they the commitment has been scattershot on that into the floor um i i think it's going to be one of those games where i can see lsu winning just because Trenton watford can go get a bucket cam thomas can go get a bucket um and they've got enough other kind of pieces around javante smarts um you know, now that he's not having to carry as much of the offensive load, um, has been pretty efficient for them uh, in a low in a lower usage role. Um, I still think Days is a pretty good undersized four man for him. So they've 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 got some pieces that can you know put some offense together. But it, like we've been saying and, and hammering over the head, if it's a, LSU's going to be fine if it's a scoring fest, but can they get enough stops? Um, Team that gets the most stops wins next Saturday. That that's that's what it boils down to. And I think like LSU is is certainly a team that is got to be frustrating for Missouri. Um, yeah, as we've seen like Missouri the last couple years really kind of show up and and take it to LSU as they were basically disinterested in playing Missouri for like three quarters of the game. And then they locked in and and you know got wins. Yeah, and I think so. I think the hope is, you know, last year um, Jeremiah Tillman was not a part of uh, the rotation. Um, Mark Smith was also not playing that day. Uh, Missouri got a got a nice performance from Drew Smith. Uh, Reed Nicko was, if I remember correctly, was kind of dunking on them a little bit. Um, and then you know, a couple of years ago, I think was a. Jordan Geist game, but uh, but I think like this is this is a game that I think Missouri should win. Um, one, it's at home. Uh, two, I think that they they defend uh, well enough that I think they're going to frustrate LSU, and I think that they can get to the rim. So I just just think the way that these two teams are built. Um, you know, unless LSU just absolutely goes nuts from three, which you know, knock on wood, um, anything anything like that is always possible. Um, I just think like the way that these two teams play, like there's a a very good chance that that Missouri spends a lot of time at the foul line, um, sp- spends a lot of time, uh, you know, converting around the rim, getting dunks, uh, and and ultimately I like the. I would like to see them take a step in this game and 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 get separation to make it a comfortable win. But ultimately, I think it's 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 a game that's going to be pretty close. Um, like I said, it, it's going to end up probably coming down to uh, who makes the right play at like you know three minutes to go and and gets their team like a five point lead and put puts the other team kind of behind. Uh, I I just think that the way that Missouri has played this year, 
that sort of favors them. The, the stakes are to me are, are bigger than the Tennessee game, which sounds weird because if you get out of this week at two and zero, you will have gone through the first quarter or so of the non-con slate where you've played three top forty Ken Palm teams and gone two and one and won a, a tough road game. You'll be three and one in the standings, and then you get Vandy at home, A and M on the road, Carolina at home. I mean, you could if you can. Is Carolina playing basketball yet? <laughs> the answer is yes. They are. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. You're kidding, but who knows where they could be again in the other Columbia. But what I'm alluding to is that if you can come out of this week at 2-0, you're on a three-game win streak, and then the next three games, you know, the win probabilities are 88, 61, and 72. You know, now you're starting to talk about not just a three-game win streak, but maybe getting six in a row together. Now you're six and one in the conference going back to Knoxville. I don't think you win at Knoxville, <laughs> but at six and one, you know, Hey, Alabama did Alabama it. Alabama did it. All, all Missouri needs to do is shoot 50% from three. But that, that's a tough road trip. But then you got Auburn, which is not look great defensively. And then TCU at home. So what I'm saying is this week gets you kind of through that bumpier part of the opening stretch a bumpy opening stretch of league play. And if you are at three and one going into a favorable three game stretch, now you can begin talking about shifting some expectations. You know, I've been sort of tepid in saying, I think this is a team, even as like I see Lenardi put him on the four line or the three line. I've always sort of thought like the top end for them or where they were going to land was around an eight. If you're at six and one, with the wins they have, then I think you can legitimately start talking about a projected, you know, protected seed because you'll have racked up enough top 50 wins and you'll have got enough of them away from home that, you know, in mid January, you can start to have those conversations. So it's, if you can get through this week and take care of business, this is when I think you start talking about the expectations ratcheting up another level. Um, Maybe, you know, you want to talk about them getting back into the mix for a conference title. That's fine. But to me, really, I, again, I'm, I'm locked in on March. If they get through this week at 2-0, and now you start having conversations about what this team is going to be playing for in terms of seeding position in the SEC tournament and, the, and in the men's NCAA tournament. Yeah, I think one of the things that I sort of uh, brought up, and I can't remember exactly which piece it was it was one of the study halls, I think. Um, you know, we we did talk about it uh, a little bit with the uh, you know the discussion of you know getting you know two two and two, three and one, uh, one and three, and, and sort of what that means. But um, if if Missouri, so Missouri's in a sort of like this is a really really important week with two. Uh, two games that they're projected to win, but they're projected to win by a combined three points. Tipping, like, these, these are tipping aren't, point games. Yeah, and, and and anytime you look at, like, the games that you should win in your schedule, anytime you look at, uh, like, I've never really felt like Missouri was a, a four seed. Um, I think they could get to fourth in the SEC, or I, I did feel, even kind of going into the season, that that was maybe sort of the ceiling. Uh, I saw them at sixth. Um, I think I kind of talked you into um, into that. But 
I do think that what you're looking at is is if you can get through and and just just continue to kind of win the games that you're supposed to win um like there there is a lot of uh like if you look at Kim Pom's profile page there's a lot of W's on on that list now a lot of those W's are like you said you're you're uh projected to win 54 percent uh you know versus you know 46 percent in the LSU game so it's a toss-up game um but it's still projected to win if you can win those games you are talking about you know protected SEC seed but you're also talking about you know like being the kind of team that that does get a top four seed in the NCAA bracket and that's just like from what this team has been the last few years, for that to even be on the table and being something that we're discussing, I mean, granted, they have to take care of it this week, um, but I think that's on the table. And even after the Tennessee game, one of the things I said in study hall is is there is still a lot on the table for Missouri. You have to limit the number of times that you, you play bad and as bad as they played against Tennessee. And I still think... Like the way that Missouri shoots the ball, there are going to be games that they come out and they just they can't make anything, and it's going to cost them a game. Now you hope that it's a game against somebody like Tennessee. Uh, you hope it's you know a game against somebody like Florida, and you certainly hope it's not <laughs> against somebody like Texas A and M or, or or Vanderbilt. You, like you want to beat the teams you're supposed to beat, uh, and if Missouri does that, like I don't see any reason why this team can't win like twelve games in league play, and that's just that's a crazy idea for me to even say when we've seen how they've played the last few years. But I think it's it's on the table. And if they come out with a split this week, I don't even like if they win at Mississippi State and they lose to LSU, I think we're in the same position we are at this you're in the same kind of place you are at this moment, which is there's still a team that's probably like gonna float between that seven and nine line. They haven't hurt their resume. You know, they're still, like, in the mix to, you know, be a top half of the SEC team, top half of the standings. You know, I, so I, I don't want to make it. And if you go 0-2 this week, then I think, you know, then I think you have a different conversation um, about you've given up a little bit of equity here. So it just feels like one of those weeks where it feels like the last two weeks have been kind of swing weeks for them. And I think we said it, you know, a couple weeks ago after the Bradley game, if you come out, of this stretch at two and two, you know that's a net, you know that's a, you know, that's a net balance for you. You know you aren't any worse off, you aren't any better off. But if you come out at one and three or three and one, those are wildly different trajectories you're on. The nice part is, you know, they get three games after this that, you know, should be more in their favor. And that was always sort of the thing I pointed to was, even if you were at one and three, you had a chance to fight back pretty quickly. If you're at three and one, though, you had a real chance to gain some early separation and really put yourself in a great position. So we'll see how it goes, but it's it's going to be an interesting week. So, um, so we are, I think, back on a little bit more of a regular schedule, which is recording early in the week. I still consider Sunday like the start of the week. I think. Um. So this is Sunday, January 3rd. Uh, we will probably uh, stick to this early record 
thing and 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 kind of preview the week and then um, and all that kind of stuff. So uh, I hope everybody had a happy ish new year. I mean, it, I know that there wasn't a whole lot to do, <laughs> um, but if you're a Missouri basketball fan, uh, I think that the uh, 2021 uh, calendar year could be a really fun one. Um, so we've got uh, got a big week coming up. Matt and I will be back in a week to kind of talk about what happened uh, against Mississippi State and LSU, and we will preview Vanderbilt and Texas A&M. Um, but as of right now, your Missouri Tigers uh, looking like they're going to stay in the top 25, uh, 41st in Kempom. Let's let's kind of keep this momentum going, Matt. I, I like talking about good things rather than bad things. I, I know it's against my nature. This feels very weird. Feels very weird. <laughs> <laughs> it's just been so long for Missouri. Uh, yeah, even like even in like the like there was so much good news in the like early part of like 2017. Um, you know, hire Martin proceed to get commitments from all these highly rated players. Um, you know, it was, uh, it was like a rush, but then it like dissipated very quickly. So it, it would be nice to sort of have something that, that, that sustains a little bit more. And I, I think this season has a potential to, uh, I don't know, keep us hopeful for a little bit more, lo- uh, a little bit It'll longer. It'll certainly be interesting. So, which is, which is nice. And who knows? I mean, like maybe the next three opponents all get COVID and Missouri has to sit around for, for three or four weeks. Um, or it could always happen to Missouri too. So coronavirus is 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 bound to impact the SEC season at some point. Um, we all hope it doesn't happen, but uh, um, yeah, we're at the point now where <laughs> it's probably going to happen. So let's just we're hoping for the best. That said, we'll be back next week. Um, I feel like this is like the longest outro ever. I'm assuming Mitch is already kind of... Unless you've just finished up. Yeah, like, he's he's got the music going. We're vibing in. Um, you can follow Matt on Twitter, at uh, MattJHarris85. I'm at Sam T. Snelling. Uh, subscribe to the podcast. Uh, at some point, Nate is going to come back. He had a baby, um, which is, you know, for some people, a, a, a big thing. Not for me, but congrats to him. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's all I got. I'm... Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm done. Okay. Yeah, we're we out. out? Here. Uh, yeah, yeah. Let's let's let's. We're out of here. We'll see. You. See you next week. <laughs>